placing something on a pedestal, whether it's an idea of a lifestyle or a goal or um, you know, something about who we are or some experience, when that's all that we're chasing after for satisfaction, our pleasure, our instant gratification, then our life becomes disordered. I just heard about this awful accident on the ocean that just happened. These two huge ships uh, collided. Uh, one large red ship smashed into one large blue ship. Uh, all the sailors were marooned. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 189. It's so great to have you with us. If it's your first time, we start every uh, episode off with a dad joke. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it brought you some joy today. And what would bring me some joy is if you would rate and review this podcast so that other people could better find it. The highest compliment you could pay me in this podcast is to share this with your family and friends. Recommend this podcast to someone if you haven't done that in a while. Uh, if everyone who listens to this just recommended it to one person, our growth would double. I think that's how math works. So thank you so much to all of you who are listening and doing that. But if you haven't yet done so, please share it with others. And the best way to find out all the ways that you can engage with us on social media and find our content is if you go to our website, manafoodforthought.com. While you're there, click on the subscribe button to sign up for our weekly Psalm Reflection newsletter uh, straight to your inbox every Wednesday morning. And you can click on the give button if you feel so inclined to help support the cost of this podcast by becoming a patron for as little as $1 a month. Thank you to all of you who do that and for all of you for listening and coming back and for, uh, yeah, just being a blessing in my life that I get to do this. So let's get into our joy junk and Jesus. My joy this week, several joys. Um, we had our parent-teacher conference for kindergarten for my daughter, and she's um, just crushing it. Uh, she's the youngest in her grade, just like I was growing up, and she's keeping up and doing a great job, so I'm super proud of her. Um, and we had a, a birthday party for uh, my former co-host, Jenna, for her son, Jude, and so um, a bunch of great parents and all these kids running around. It was just really awesome in their new place, so that was wonderful. And I got to tag along to my wife's book club as we went and saw the new Hunger Games movie, which uh, was very intense and uh, not super happy. So if you uh, are going to go see that, just be warned. But um, but it's always a joy to be in good community with people, um, and that's just been really wonderful. So my junk is that um, been a lot of spiritual warfare in the last week, um, a lot of just not fun things going on. Um, and I'm feeling a lot of spiritual attack, and it's it's been um, affecting me in physical ways, and so just prayers for that. Um, but another thing, last last week, um, we had such a great Bible study. I mean, it was awesome. And then I went to export the recording, and I did something weird to the camera. I like I unplugged it and took the memory card out before I stopped recording, and I lost the recording completely. So I had to re-record the Bible study try and get all the points in from memory uh, the next day in our recording studio. So uh, I think I did it justice, hopefully, but it was just extra work and a bummer. And I stayed up late trying to figure out if I could salvage this file to no avail. So, you know, always rely on technology to fail. So, yeah. Um, my Jesus moments were that um, yesterday, uh, Sunday, um, speaking both at, at our OCIA ministry and at this interfaith uh, Thanksgiving service that we had, um, just really, um, I don't know, just felt like the spirit moving in both of those talks. Um, 
you know, the, the one in the morning was all about the Paschal mystery and the weight of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It was a very emotional um, uh, experience giving that talk and seeing people get hit by it. And yeah, and then um, a lot of um, just beautiful uh, ecumenical um, stuff going on in Laguna Niguel with all these churches coming together um, at St. Tim's for a Thanksgiving service. So that was really great. And I was very privileged to be able to speak at that. So I just really felt the Lord kind of moving in a lot of cool ways and uh, bringing people together, bringing people to a deeper reality and knowledge of, of who God is and who what he's doing in their life, which is always beautiful. So yeah, let's get into our episode for this week. We're looking at the second reading for this upcoming Sunday liturgy which is the end of our liturgical year. It is the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the universe. And so all of the readings are going to be a little bit more eschatological, more apocalyptic sounding about the end, about judgment, about all of that sort of thing. Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, almost toward the uh, total end of that letter. Um, And a lot of things are addressed in the letter to the Corinthians. Um, A lot of things about immorality, about church unity, about, um, you know, how to be unified in message, and um, a lot of things on just how to keep the message of Jesus Christ central. And part of that is this really beautiful kind of discourse that Paul has in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection. And this kind of comes from that, um, is the power of the resurrection. And it's going to, we're reading it because uh, even though it's not necessarily a feast of the resurrection, uh, we're always, you know, living as a resurrection people. But when we talk about Jesus coming back, the second coming, um, a lot of that similar language is used, that power and divinity coming to defeat death, uh, to come and, and create a new heaven and a new earth and, and, and all, all of that. So you'll hear a lot of that language in the readings this Sunday. So we're going to read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 26 and verse 28. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead came also through man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life, but each one in proper order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty, every sovereignty and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When everything is subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. The gospel, or the, the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Uh, so, not from the gospel, from, uh, from the second reading. But um, so there's some language in here that, um, you know, as I was reading this, we could get into, you know, this kind of uh, divinity of Christ. There is this language here that you could assume that there's this subservience or um, less so um, uh, role of Jesus in comparison to the Father. But all that really is speaking to is that at the end of time, like this kind of delineation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like will no longer necessarily be needed for uh, or distinguished needed for our distinguishing because we'll see the perfect unity of God. Everything will kind of, just as it says in the end, everything will be all in all. Um, and so the way in which God revealed himself to us as three persons over time to reveal to us the mystery of salvation, he will still be a trinity unto himself. He'll still be a relationship. We'll still know him as that 
but the distinctions won't be as, I guess, I don't want to say necessary because that's not proper theological language, but it, it, it'll be just be so much more integrated and unified in heaven to where it will just make so much more sense because the Trinity is a mystery that we can't really wrap our head around. And so if that came out for you, if you're like, oh, interesting, it seems like, you know, they're talking about God being a father over uh, Christ or, or him being God above Christ. Um, that's not really what's being mentioned here. It's about kind of that vision of the end and how everything will be integrated as it was meant to be in the beginning. Um, so what I really wanted to speak to um, is what stood out to me as I was preparing this. And there's these phrases in here toward the end of this passage where talking about Jesus has destroyed every sovereignty, every sovereignty. That's a hard word to say. He has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and power. And then a little bit later when it says everything, when everything is subjected to him. And it made me think, you know, what are the things that the Lord wants to destroy in your life? And that's an interesting question because we obviously, we talk about how God is loving and he's merciful. We don't talk about God as destructive, but love destroys things that are not love. It roots them out. It, it disintegrates them. It gets them out of our system because love cannot dwell where unlove exists. You know, I, I, I heard this from Father Mike Schmitz, I think, and it always sticks with me. Um, but I, he said something to the effect of, um, serious prayer and serious sin cannot coexist in your life. One will eventually destroy the other. Serious prayer and serious sin cannot coexist in your life. One will eventually destroy the other. And so the same thing is true with love. Like love, real love cannot coexist with sin because one will eventually destroy the other. And so what the Lord wants to do is to allow his radical love what he did for us on the cross, his sacrificial love to destroy sin and specifically to destroy the way sin has power over you. What in your life has power over you? What influences your decisions in life? Because when things are properly ordered, everything in life falls into place. And when we disorder our life, when we, when we worship something we're not supposed to, when we are placing something on a pedestal, whether it's an idea of a lifestyle or a goal or um, you know, something about who we are or some experience, when that's all that we're chasing after for satisfaction, our pleasure, our instant gratification, then our life becomes disordered. Our life should look like this, as it says in First Chronicles 29.11. This is what our life should look like. Yours, Lord, are greatness and might, majesty, victory, and splendor. For all in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is kingship. You are exalted as head over all. Notice how there was nothing about us in that verse. Like if our life is properly ordered, our life should look like one that puts God in his proper place, that worships God for who he is, that recognizes his greatness, his might, his majesty, his victory and splendor over everything in our life, and that him above all, he above all is the one that we should be seeking. Above all, who we should be prioritizing who we should be looking to for our ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. But that is not always the case. We look to other earthly things for our satisfaction. We, we allow other things to have power over us. <clears throat> and so as I was thinking about this, excuse me, as I was thinking about this, um, I was thinking about what are the main things that have either had, pri had, have had power over my life or I see commonly have power over other people's lives. And those things are, are sin, fear, pride, 
career, pleasure, and image. And there are many more that fall into these categories or many more that I may not have listed. But, but let's look at each of these briefly. And, and I just want you to, to ask yourself, does this have power over me? Is this something that I pay more attention to or that takes up more of my time or is more of a comfort and opportunity for pleasure or control than I get in my relationship with the Lord and in my faith, my spiritual life, my prayer? So the first is sin. Now, I would include in this any kind of addiction because any kind of addiction by nature is sinful because it's we're placing our a habitual sense of a trust or um, desire in this one thing that we are, are creating a habit and always going to that instead of the Lord, always going to that instead of a healthy way of uh, dealing with our needs. In Romans 6.14, it says, For sin is not to have any power over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. I think this can get really sinister when we, and there's a reason why you can't spell sinister without the word sin. This can get really sinister when it's it's so easy for us to fall into sin that we don't even consider it bad anymore. We just feel like, well, this is just a habit. This is something that I do. I need to do this. I need this is almost like a pleasure fix or a control fi- fix, or this is the way that I cope. This is the way that I experience, you know, entertainment, joy, whatever it is. And so this can be anything from, you know, drugs, alcohol, uh, overeating, undereating, <clears throat> um, pleasure, sex, um, Uh, pornography, like any of those addictive things, gambling, online shopping, a lot of things that are fine unto themselves. Like there are, you know, you can enjoy alcohol with uh, moderation. Sex is beautiful when it's done in the way that God designed it. Um, You know, it's okay to, to shop online, but if these things become addictive, now some of those things are just always destructive, you know, like pornography is always destructive. But it's a distortion of the goodness of sex. And so there is always something good that we're looking for underlying all of these things. They've just been distorted and they've been hidden. And we found some shallow earthly alternative to try and mediate that desire. But it's not helping. <clears throat> this would be like if you were just starving and, and parched of thirst. And I've used this analogy before. And all you had around you was salt water. And so you start drinking salt water, but... What your body does is in order to process the salinity of salt water, it needs more water than you are consuming in order to do it. Your kidneys can't process it. Your kidneys can't process that much salt, so it needs more water. And so eventually, even though you are drinking more and more salt water, you need more and more to actually get you the satisfaction you're looking for, and you end up dying of thirst. So you could drink a whole ocean of water and still die of thirst if it was salt water. You could have a whole ocean of earthly experiences and you would still die in sin if you are looking for God in all these earthly places and all these addictive behaviors. Does sin have power over you? Do you have the ability to say no when you are tempted? Because if you can't say no, and if you find yourself falling into that every day or every other day, that is an addiction. And that is going to need more serious help than prayer. You're going to need accountability. You might even need therapy to go through some kind of program to completely uh, rid yourself of this. Maybe even, you know, Narcotics Anonymous, um, Sexaholics Anonymous, Alcohol Anonymous, whatever it is. You know, there's, there's so many support groups and processes that you can go through. But you need to be able to admit that this is a problem. So sin or addiction, does that have power over you? Fear. 
Does fear have power over you? Does fear prevent you from doing the things that you're called to do or that you should be doing? Fear and anxiety. I'm often reminded of Revelation 3, 16, 15 through 16, where it says, I know your works. I know that you are neither hot or cold. I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Fear is that paralyzing in-between, between hot or cold, between you know love and hate. Like God would rather you completely act in a hateful way toward him because at least you're using your free will. But to be afraid to never make a decision, to sit on the fence, to get comfortable, to act like you've made a decision when you really haven't, you are not using the gift of reason and free will that he's given you. And it's so easy to redirect that energy if it's in the wrong place. It's so easy to put your sail up and start sailing in the wrong direction and then to correct your course than it is to find uh, a shore when you never put your sail up in the first place, when you're just paralyzed by fear because you don't know which way to go. I think fear is a huge motivator for sin because we get prevented from doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. And then we get offered these lesser alternatives and they seem less intimidating. We say, well, this is just me privately, or this is not as scary as the sacrificial thing or the thing that God is asking me to do. So this looks easier. And we don't see the sinister nature of sin, how it compels us inward into the cycle of sin and addiction. Does fear have power over you? Pride. Does pride have power over you? Pride is considered the chief of all sins. It was the sin of Adam and Eve. Instead of saying God knows best, they said, we know best. We can make this decision for ourselves. Even though God told us X, we're going to do Y instead because we didn't trust him. We trust ourselves more. <clears throat> Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before disaster and a haughty spirit before a fall. The moment we think we know better, the moment we think that the God of the universe is on an intellectual level that we can somehow be superior to, that is the moment where we fail, where we start down a path that there's no redemption from. We have to turn completely back around in humility and go back to him and recognize he is sovereign. He is the only one who knows. He is the only one who sees how things are going to play out. And this might manifest in your desire to control, your desire to fix, your desire to have a solution for every problem. Only going to God in prayer when you need something or when it's your last resort, instead of praying every day in praise for all he's given you, relying so much on yourself that you don't recognize that anything good in your life is from God in the first place. Does pride have power over you? Is it causing you to have uh, a chip on your shoulder? Is it causing you to act as though that you are a perpetual victim, that everyone is out to get you? that people don't appreciate you, that you're not being thanked. Pride makes us feel like everything is about us and that we have a right to X, Y, and Z. The true order of the universe reminds us that nothing is about us, that everything is about God, and we have a right to nothing. But he has given us every blessing so that we can escape this cycle of sin and the destruction that the devil wants for us and be in union with God forever. Even though he didn't need us, he wants that for us. Does pride have power over you? Does career have power over you? Career, money, wealth, your financial situation. Proverbs 23 verses 4 through 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to gain wealth. Cease to be worried about it. When your glance flits to it, it is gone. 
Money is fleeting. You cannot take it with you, my brothers and sisters. But so many people, I know so many people who, when it comes to their jobs, they let these jobs have hold over their lives in such a way that they're treating themselves like they're slaves. They allow so many other people or things to be masters over them. I will never understand the complaint that I have from some people like, my job is so intense, like I can't get to mass. You can't get to mass. Do you know mass happens every day, multiple times a day, that every church has some kind of time for daily mass, many in the morning, some in the afternoon, some in the evening, and every church on the weekends has vigil masses on Saturday night, has a multitude of times on Sundays, and that you have a right, in the, at least in this country, in the United States, to the constitutional right to the free exercise of your religion, and that no one, if you profess it to your employer, can prevent you from being able to do that. And I get there are some jobs, emergency services, infrastructure, where like somebody's got to work every day of the week because we no longer live in that kind of Sabbath culture with the blue laws and the things that used to be on the books where everything would be closed on Sunday except essential services like, like you know, emergency medical care or something like that. But even then, it was nowhere near the degree that it is now where people are like, well, I can't go to mass because I work. And to me, that is like not an excuse. That is such a lazy and, and irresponsible reality to accept for yourself. You have the power to get to Mass. I don't care if the only Mass near you is at 6 a.m., a couple miles away in Chinese. Like, you can still get to Mass because you need to hear the word proclaimed, even if you don't understand it, and you need the Eucharist. And we need to come before God and worship Him because He asked us to do that and because He deserves our worship. And when we worship Him, everything falls into its proper order. And so if career, money, success, if that's your primary drive, that will be an excuse for why you can't do anything else. It's an excuse behind why many people delay getting married and having children. And then they find out later when they finally do get married and they want to have children, and maybe they've been contracepting or on birth control or they've just waited too long. They're having problems with infertility. Then all of a sudden they can't have children and they have all of these regrets. Why did I wait so long? was because you let this thing have power over you. You felt like this was all that was important in life, is being financially secure and successful, not accepting help from others, not setting aside this idol for your life that you need to be like an Instagrammable couple or have an Instagrammable house and home life and be able to live in a shack with the person that you love or even on your own because we're called to humble circumstances and that's living within your means. I'm not saying it's bad to have money, but we have to recognize money's a resource, it's a tool, and we cannot rely on it. We cannot put our hope in it because as soon as you get it, it is gone. It's spent, and you can't take it with you. What are you doing with it to be responsible, to serve others, to serve your family well, but are you letting your entire life be controlled by something that you are going to make that you can't take with you? That makes no sense. Who cares? No matter how many zeros are in your checking account, you're still going to be dead in the ground one day, just like everybody else. Where's your soul going to be? Pleasure. Does pleasure have power over you? This also speaks into that idolatry of a lifestyle, but also, I mean, just the prevalency of sex and sexuality and gender and sexual identity in our culture and how easy it is to get wrapped up in this idea that you are what you want to do with your body. You are how you want to experience pleasure. You are just, uh, you are devolved to your parts or what you want to do with your parts. And the experience of pleasure that you can get 
from sex, from relationships, pornography, masturbation, from uh, drinking, from <clears throat> from drugs, from the partying experience on the weekends, from the lifestyle, whatever it is. That doesn't bring lasting joy and happiness. Often it brings regret and hangovers the next day. Why did I do that? I don't even remember what I did. Puts us in dangerous and precarious positions where we can be taken advantage of, where we can make decisions that we normally wouldn't make if we weren't so uninhibited. The prophet Jonah, in chapter 2, verse 9, says, Those who worship worthless idols abandon their hope for mercy. Those who worship worthless idols abandon their hope for mercy. When we worship the idol of experience, the idol of pleasure, we abandon our hope for mercy. We are putting all of our hope in this earthly thing, this means of instant gratification that we think is going to make us happy, but in the end will just cause us destruction and grief and despair. Because none of those pleasures last. If all I want is a steak, if all I need is a nice steak dinner, but instead of getting up and going to the steakhouse or making myself a steak, all I, am, all I do is eat a peanut, one peanut once every hour. I am still going to be starving. That is the reality of what life is like. Like God is offering you the steak dinner. Like come find your satisfaction in me. But you're surrounded by peanuts and we think, oh, this is easy. I can just grab a peanut and eat it. Oh, that's satisfying. Or whatever your you know, choice food is. But you have to know that no matter how much of those things you eat, it's not going to equal the sustenance and the joy and the enjoyment of a really good meal that's going to nourish and satisfy you. The same thing is true with everything in life. Relationships, love, joy, belonging, truth, goodness, and beauty. There are cheap alternatives to all of those things in our world, but none of them will satisfy you because none of them is the source and the summit of love, belonging, joy, truth, goodness, and beauty like the Lord is. Does pleasure have power over you? And lastly, does your image, your reputation, the ability to compare yourself to other people, does that have power over you? Galatians chapter 6, verses 4 through 5 says this, Each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason to boast with regard to himself alone, and not with regard to someone else. For each will bear his own load. So many of us are looking constantly to our left and our right and not looking up enough, looking up to our Lord for our satisfaction. We look in the mirror, we wonder what other people think of us. We get anxiety, there's so much social anxiety because people are so afraid of being perceived the wrong way. We live in a cancel culture where people are afraid to even say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, so they will sacrifice their opinion and their beliefs so that they will still appear good in the eyes of others. Our image, our reputation, our ability to compare that to other people and find our satisfaction in the ways that we maybe achieve more or do better than the person next to us in school or the family down the street or that other person at work that we beat out for a promotion or whatever it is. Those things can have intense power and strongholds over us. What happens when you lose that job? What happens when that house is foreclosed or when you move? What happens when that person suddenly gets the leg up on you? Does image have power over you? All of these things, sin, addiction, fear, pride, career, wealth, money, pleasure, idolatry of lifestyle, image, reputation, comparison, all of these things lead to destruction and dissatisfaction because none of them can fulfill and satisfy us in the way that the Lord can. In the words of this second reading, he has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and power. Everything is subjected to him. 
That is the goal. That is what will happen at the end of the, the end of time. And it needs to happen by the end of your life. Or those things will be obstacles to your ability to experience eternal joy and life with God in heaven forever. What has power over you? What influences your decisions in life? Is your life properly ordered? And if not, how can you root those things out? How can you identify what has power over your life? To name it out loud and say, you no longer have power over me. I claim the authority and power of Jesus over my life, his sovereignty over my life, his authority over my life. I, I ask that everything, Lord, be subjected to you. Your will be done. Pray simply every day the Our Father. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Reflect and pause on those words every time you say it. Mean them. Invoke them over your life. And they will become a reality. Sorry for the bit of the longer episode, but that is all I have for you. I hope that's helpful to you. I hope it speaks to the places in your life where the authority and the power of God need to come in and destroy the things, root out the things that have power over you because only his power can truly satisfy. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless.